Alright, alright, here we go. It's episode 40 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers. You guys can always get us at pregame.com. Alright, Mackenzie, here we go. We got the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. We have the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat, and we have the Mavericks and the Warriors. Let's go ahead and dive right into this. We have one game here. On Tuesday, we have the Celtics and the Heat. Before we go ahead and we get into this series, why don't we go ahead and roll back a little bit here and talk about the Celtics and the Bucks? Celtics ended up winning that one game seven. They look pretty good there to go ahead and close out that series. But I keep hearing whispers about people talking about Boston might be tired. They have to go here on the road. Our current line on this game right now, the Heat minus two. We have a total of 204. You know, what do you make of Boston going ahead and heading into this game? On Tuesday night. Like you mentioned, there's been a lot of talk about the Celtics' grueling seven-game series and the Heat being well-rested with a two-day advantage. They got Friday and Saturday off while the Celtics played Sunday. So I guess that's actually a three-game advantage. And look, there's history behind this. And I first heard this while listening to Bill Simmons' podcast on The Ringer. Credit to Raheem Palmer, who looked this up. But since 2003, the full database that I have access to, teams off a of game seven versus a team not off a Game 7. Pretty simple subset. 65% straight up, 60% ATS in Game 1. All right, that makes sense. Even though the series price says the Celtics should probably be pick them here, minus 160 if you impute the math. Line came out at minus 4. The Heat favored by 4 points versus the highest power rated team in basketball. Because of this concept, this trend, everyone was saying the Celtics are going to be dead tired. The Heat are going to be well-rested. Well, I disagree. I actually think the Celtics' last three games were kind of easy. They were much better than the Bucs. They were much deeper than the Bucs. In games five, six, and seven, it started showing itself. I said on last podcast erroneously that the Celtics were better in six of the seven games. Well, at that point, only six games had been played. So I guess I was just trying to see the future. And yeah, the Celtics were clearly better in six of the seven games. Maybe it was, uh, you know nerves or maybe it was the greatness of Giannis but they threw away two of those games and they happened to go seven but I don't necessarily think that means this was some gauntlet that they're going to be down and out for so I looked a little deeper into it and yes teams that play a game seven versus teams that's not on a game seven I'll flip it 35% straight up 40% against the spread they usually lose this game teams in the Celtic spot usually lose this game not really, actually, because if you look at what if it's a what if it's a six or seven game series? Obviously, if it's seven versus seven, there's going to be 50, 50 percent in the splits. But if a team's off only six games like the Heat, do they really have that much of advantage? And the answer is no. Teams off a of game seven versus a team off a of game six actually have a winning record, actually win against the spread most of the time, slightly eight, seven and one since 2003. And I think it's all about narrative. What is the narrative right now about the Miami Heat and their series with the Sixers? Sixers were embarrassing chokers that didn't show up. It was an easy six-game series. I mean, think about that. Was it really that easy of a six-game series? It might have been just as hard as Celtics-Bucks for those players physically, mentally. I mean, they got blown out two games. The Celtics were in every game. They didn't get blown out any game. The Heat got blown out two games. That's tough on, on anyone psychologically. However, just because it was one game less, they're suddenly well-rested and they're 
They're waiting in the wings. Look, if they had swept team, the swept the, the Sixers, it would be different. Teams off a sweep versus team off a of game seven, 11 and three ATS since 2003. That's a real number. Who cares that, that they were off? They have one extra game, I think, the Celtics. The series price says this game should be pick them. I lean Boston. I think at plus one, there's a little bit of value there. If I could get it again where it opened, and I think this line, because this narrative so good or so prevalent anyway on the heat, will go up, might maybe to two to two and a half. That's when I'm getting interested again. But at one and a half, it's a lean Celtics and it's a pass. Well, I think you have the contrarian pick here because I feel like the pros and the Joes are kind of aligning here on Miami. I, I like Miami in game one. I think that there are a couple of factors that you know you have to go ahead and, and really put a lot of weight into. And, and I think Boston has had the tougher road out of the four teams right now in the conference finals. They went ahead, they played Brooklyn, took care of them in four games. But I felt like you know there that there might be some type of a mental kind of wear on them going into game one of the Buck series. And I guess you could say that there was. Boston hasn't played well in game one in any series as of right now. They they got lucky, I think, against Brooklyn, you know, with, with Jason Tatum beating the buzzer there, get a one-point win. And then they play game one, and they look really bad against the Bucks. So I worry, you know, with the flip here on the road with them, that maybe they come out a little sluggish for game one again, and maybe not super focused. One of the things that probably looks good for you here, McKenzie, is how Boston's actually played on the road. I mean, they only had, what, one loss so far on the road. And I think it was by, like, two points. So I, I think people are kind of overlooking Boston here, you know, with the way that they've been playing on the road. I think that that's a factor that could help you here. But I think one of the more important things here, and I think this will show up in game one, the fact that Boston's interior with Williams, you know, being banged up or being out, I think that will show up here. I think Bam Adebayo has a good game here. Now, look, when you go back to the Philly series, to go to the first two games, Joel Embiid was not there. Bam played really well, you know, decent amount of points, decent amount of assists, and a decent amount of rebounds. With Embiid on the floor, it was like Bam Adebayo was just taken out of the game. Now, he was used to the best of his ability, especially on the defensive end, but it wasn't like he had that chance to go ahead and break out. And I think the Heat look at him in this game here, and I think that that's an element that we kind of looked at and forgot about in Philly, that the Heat are going to look at him here and go, you know, we finally got that tool back in our tools in our toolbox, and we can use that here in this particular game. So I think Bam has a pretty good game. I'm going to give that out as, as one of my bets here. They're going to get him right back into the mix. There's no way that they're going to beat Boston if he goes out there and he has, you know, 12, 6, and, and 2, because that was kind of his stat line with Embiid. So I am looking at Miami. Do you agree with me, Mackenzie, though, that the Celtics have had the tougher road out of the four teams in the playoffs? Yes, because they best they played the best two players in basketball. That is the toughest thing to do in the NBA playoffs, ask the Phoenix Suns. When you play the guy that can score 35 a game on the road without no fear in his veins, getting yelled at in the face, smiling, laughing, yeah, that's the benefit of having the best players in basketball, and the Celtics beat not only one, but two of them, so... Yeah, they've had a much tougher road than the, you know, kind of ailing Trey Young and the hobbled James Harden and the literally physically hobbled Joel Embiid. They've had an easy path so far, the Miami Heat. Let's be fair. Fun fact about the Celtics' uh, path, by the way, the number one team, if you look at all the playoff teams, all 20, all 16 playoff teams, all four play-in teams, the number one team by offensive rating in these playoffs played five games, one was a play-in game, 
four were losses, the Brooklyn Nets. So even in their worst of times, they were putting up 118 offensive rating. That's a tough team to beat. I do agree with you also that Bam Adebayo is in, in line for a big series. I mean, the Celtics have improved since 2020 when Bam Adebayo like single-handedly destroyed them in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think we, we have been kind of uh, you know focusing in on Jimmy Butler and kind of ignoring Bam Adebayo just because of the, the series set up. New teams, new rosters with Robert Williams probably going to play, but probably not going to be 100% at any point this series. I think the Heat do have an advantage down low. And Bam Adebayo, most athletic guy by far uh, in the paint in this series. So what about Jimmy Butler there, McKenzie? He goes out and he has maybe one of the one of the better playoff runs that we've seen this season. Do you think that there's a chance that he can go ahead and keep this momentum going against a team like Boston who has arguably this is going to be the toughest defense I think that Miami has saw in the playoffs? If he can keep that up, I feel like Miami can go ahead and win this series, but do you feel like there might be some regression? Like, can Jimmy Butler keep up, you know, 32 and 44 points a game, you know, with all these rebounds and assists? Well, anytime I look at a Jimmy Butler matchup, I think he's so intense and he's so great that even against LeBron James in that series, who's better than him, uh, it was it was who's going to win that matchup on a given night. When Butler had his best game, they the Heat won. And in 2020, when they, this team's last played, the Heat were a slight underdog in the series, but they ended up winning. And I remember I didn't bet that series, but I was very close to betting the Celtics. I leaned that way. Uh, and I remember thinking, well, I was wrong. And why was I wrong? Well, J- Jason Tatum at that point was 22 years old. He was the best player. And Jimmy Butler dominated that matchup, only shooting 14 times a game, but shooting a better percentage than Tatum, playing excellent defense and being that all-around player that you kind of get as you're more seasoned get more understanding of when certain holes need to be filled and be in certain spots. So I remember thinking, yeah, guys in the playoffs that are 28 beat 29, 30, beat guys that are 22 because they're better. Even if they're not more talented at that point in their their careers, Jimmy Butler won that matchup. The Heat won the series. Well, fast forward two years later, Butler's probably still in his tail end of his prime. And Jason Tatum, though, I think he's a different player. I think he's going to have a lot better series than he did 41%, 41%, 26 points per game. I think he's going to score about 30 a game in the series. I think he's going to shoot about 44%. So very similar teams, actually. I mean, I know there's no Gordon Hayward and a lot of shuffling pieces, but best two Heat players are the same. Adebayo, Butler, best two Celtics players are the same. So the question comes down to me, how much have the Celtics changed? Is it worthy of them not being minus 130 on a neutral, but effectively being minus 200 on a neutral because they're minus 160 and they don't have home court advantage. I think so. I think I think the Celtics this year have taken a step uh, worthy of that adjustment. So I think they're clear favorites and they should be about 70% two, two-thirds of the time they win the series. I worry a little bit about Tatum and here's why. I don't think that he's had a, a, a tough defensive matchup thrown at him. I think he's going to here. I, I believe Jimmy Butler will body him up quite a bit here. That's one of the best defenders in the league. And let's go back to, to Milwaukee and Boston. I believe one of the reasons why the Bucks probably ended up losing that series was, one, they needed three-point shooting, and they didn't have that with Chris Middleton off the floor. But two, I believe the other reason, the fact that P.J. Tucker is not on that team anymore. He's now on Miami. He's a very good defender as well. And I believe they're going to throw everything that they can at Tatum. 
I think if they can stop Tatum, well, then you put everything on Brown. And Brown hasn't looked bad. I believe there will be some games in this series where he goes ahead and he throws some duds. I believe Miami's at least smart enough to go ahead and probably take the best player away from Boston. I think that that eventually could get them through too. Uh, I'm not super high on Tatum for this particular series, but with Butler, one thing that I did notice, he doesn't have to go out there and be Superman at home. Some of the games that he played that were not the best, they were actually at home. So Miami got a pretty good group effort uh, being that they were on their home floor. And then when they went on the road, you know, it was time for Jimmy Butler to go ahead and step up and do his thing. It's going to be an interesting series from an X's and O standpoint. And I favor Miami in that regard because I believe that they have more guys that can do more things uh, versus, you know, what, what Boston has. So that's just kind of my opinion. I don't know if I would bet the heat in this series, McKenzie, but I kind of I kind of like them, to be honest with you. So uh, I feel like you're being contrarian with game one, and I feel like I'm being contrarian with who I think that might actually move on here. And, and uh, I would look at probably taking Miami. I'll make one last point. The Celtics outscored the Bucks by 55 points over seven games. That's eight points a game. That's who you're betting against. That's who you're betting against. The best team, best player in basketball just got really beat by eight points a game over the last two weeks by this team. So I think they're better. Well, we'll certainly find out. We have game one coming up, and, and it seems like everybody kind of is on the same side here. And, and I don't fault you, McKenzie, for being on Boston if that's what you like here in game one. There's never anything wrong with uh, being with the bookies. Let's jump over to the Western Conference Finals. We have the Mavericks and the Warriors. Uh, Warriors right now minus five. We have a total of 214. I was a little bit surprised at this, McKenzie, when I looked at the series price for Golden State. It opened up. I saw this on FanDuel, Warriors minus 250. And I started to think, I was like, man, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. That seems really high. And I started to think about it. And I started to add things up. And I started adding up more and more things for Golden State that started to kind of justify that price. So I don't know where you sit with that price as of right now. We can break down what these teams have done. But when you look at the minus 250, how do you feel right now about that? I think it's fair. I think of anything, it might be a little light to the Warriors. But hey, the Warriors didn't look good the last week, really since Gary Payton went down. They've had... They didn't look good. I mean, they won the series, but they were 2-4 and ATS. So I get it. I get the pessimism on the Warriors. But I'll just go back to the beginning of the playoffs. I had the Warriors three and a half points better than the Mavericks. Each team winning two series, I don't see how you can get, even the Mavericks upsetting the Suns, more than a one and a half point adjustment, making these teams two points apart, which is what the series price tells us right now. Say that they should be close to even and so that the home court doesn't matter that much and the minus two plus 210 makes sense. I think it's just a lot, a lot of optimism from what we just saw. The most recent thing, recency bias. Luka Doncic putting up 35 on the road in a 40-point, 50-point blowout. I mean, that game was over at halftime. And we haven't seen the Warriors play, you know, really impressively since the game John Morant went down in game three when they won by 20. I don't really think these teams are that different from what I thought entering the playoffs. So I think the Warriors are a serious favorite here. And a lot of people are making the comparison between like LeBron James in 2006 and those Pistons, the old dynasty, and this Luka team. Okay, that Pistons team didn't have their best player, their Hall of Fame five-time Defensive Player of the Year player. Ben Wallace wasn't on that 2016 that lost to LeBron, or 2007 rather. 
the Warriors have everybody back. Like, yeah, Curry has only shot, you know, slightly above average these playoffs. Thompson hasn't looked great, but Curry scored 27 points per game in the, in the last series that we just saw him play. And yes, maybe he's not like the three-time MVP that he deserves to be their prime player, but if he's 10% less than that, I don't see this dynasty getting popped that easily. I don't see one player doing it, but maybe I'm missing something because I haven't seen, just like the Heat, I haven't seen one team, one guy, one picker, one handicapper be touching the Warriors. It seems Mavericks are past. Everybody has that attitude. Maybe I'm missing an opportunity to not bet in the Warriors because I do not see the love for the Mavericks. I would be with you with the Warriors, and there's a bunch of reasons why. Let's start with the Mavericks. You already talked about it, recency bias. They're, everybody's going to put a lot of stock into, oh, my God, the Mavericks beat the number one seed in the playoffs. They went on the road in and, and game seven, and they, they destroyed them. Chris Paul um, didn't score, and Devin Booker, and it was like Luka went out and had you know 27 points a half. Like I get all that, and the fact that the Mavericks won, give them credit. But Chris Paul arguably had one of the best playoff runs for a point guard that we've seen in a very long time, and that was against – the New Orleans Pelicans, and then enter the Dallas Mavericks, and he looked like he fell off an absolute cliff. He went from being a top-five point guard of all time to relegated down to maybe like a, a bench player. I'll make this statement, and I stand firm on this. If Chris Paul goes out and plays half as good as what he did in the Pelican series for four games in that series against the Mavericks, there is no way in hell that the Mavericks are in the Western Conference Finals. Phoenix moves on. If Chris Paul can play better, whatever his excuses were, or whatever happened, I don't know. The Chris Paul that I know will eventually figure it out and go ahead and be able to get through. And he didn't give credit to Mavericks for going ahead and shutting him down. But I think that that's something that we, that we have to consider is that Chris Paul didn't play very well. I'm not sure what you think about that, McKenzie, but it was night and day how well he played and then just how poorly he played against the Mavericks. I'll stand firm on my opinion there that if Chris Paul played better, that the Suns are in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and I think I want to drill down on that point because I think it's a key one because, yeah, maybe the Mavericks have, you know, they were one of the best defenses in the league. They started doing things differently with Reggie Bullock blitzing them full court since, since game three. And he did fall off a cliff. Games one and two, he was great. 24 points a game, 62% shooting, only two turnovers a game. Games one and two, he looked like Chris Paul. Like, like you mentioned, he looked like in the Pelican series. He wasn't the same guy the last five games of the series. Even if the foul trouble thing, forget about it. Just look at the five games combined. Nine points per game, four turnovers points a game. So his scoring went less than half, less than half. His turnovers doubled. And by the way, defensively, he looked like a guy that's been on seven all-defensive teams and never really a physically imposing guy, but a heady player that could make a team defense better. He looked like a cone, as Patrick Beverly said over and over. And he said, this is always the case. I think he was talking a little bit hyperbole. But yeah, he was bad defensively the last five games, too. What does that say? Well, he's a quad injury, reportedly, as a finger injury, reportedly. Maybe he's old, but does it really matter? If he fell off a cliff and it was physical, it wasn't like the Mavericks suddenly got this much better at defense. He just fell off a cliff because he's Chris Paul, and sometimes he gets hurt and he can't play, and sometimes he gets hurt and he plays, but he sucks. That's his playoff life for the last 17 years if it's explainable why the Mavericks came back from down 0-2 and it's as simple as oh well Chris Paul ran out of gas he he turned back into a pumpkin he became 38 year old Chris Paul 
then the Mavericks upgrade is completely unwarranted. Thus making my initial instinct to bet the Warriors make a lot more sense. I do want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned where it was like Curry hasn't looked the greatest. But I think that that this team is built for him not to go out there to have to score 40 points a game. Curry scored 27 points or more in eight out of the 11 playoff games that, that they've played this year. Clay Thompson's still out there. Now they're sharing the ball with guys like Wiggins, sharing the ball with Jordan Poole. So Curry's not going to go out there and score 40. He doesn't have to go out there and be Luka. And that's one of the things that worries me is that the Mavericks are going to turn into potentially a one-man show. How many games are we going to get out of Spencer Dinwiddie, McKenzie, where he's going to go out and have 30 points? He has one of those games one every 25 nights if he's lucky. They're going to need Luka to not only be the best player in this series, they're going to need him to be the best player in the league for seven games, I think, in order for the Mavericks to go ahead and get through. I like what the Warriors are doing right now. They're going to get Steve Kerr back. They look sluggish in the last couple games against the the Grizzlies. I think a lot of that has to do with Kerr wasn't there. I think the Warriors thought that they were going to eventually be here. So maybe they weren't giving their best effort and John Morant wasn't out there. So it was like, well, their best player is out, whatever the case might be. We're going to end up, you know, getting past these guys. And they looked bad in some of those games, or at least they didn't look great. But Curry doesn't have to be the best player on the floor. I think they have plenty of guys that can go out there and do their job and, and do it rather well. Couldn't agree with you more. Curry had 29 points in the last game, the closeout game. And I think if he would have played better, this is going to sound funny. If he would have played better, if he would have had like 2016 MVP Curry, he would have scored 29 points in that game. And he would have played about 10 less minutes because if some of those threes go in in the third quarter and he starts rolling and the Memphis isn't doing much on on offense because the Grizzlies, again, have the second best defense in basketball. Yeah, Gary Payton hurts them, but they were doing fine. They were doing very well against that John Morantless Grizzlies. Then that team is put away. And they, yes, he doesn't have to score, score 40. That is the difference. That's also the goal to make it so that you have a well-rounded offense that doesn't rely on one player and doesn't stress one player unduly. That said, again, Curry's put, score averaging more than his career average in points in the playoffs. It's 27 a game last series. I feel like I've never seen a team downgraded more off a, a series win in which they were the road team. Like it makes very little sense. I know there was an injury, yada, yada, yada. They won game by, they won one game that they didn't cover by one point. I think it's a lot to do about nothing. I think they didn't play great. I think their coach not being there kind of looked like they were undisciplined on offense. And, you know, the kind of thing that Kerr is probably at his heart, at his core, he wants to invoke mo- most, which is the beautiful game. He wasn't there and, and they, they, they fell off that. But I'm not downgrading them because they won a series. It makes no sense to me. I think one of the things that the Mavericks are going to struggle with here is that they're going to allow you to shoot threes. Now, the Mavericks shoot threes as well. And I think they've actually shot more attempts than, than any other team in the playoffs. And their, their three-point percentage is actually tied here with Golden State. But that's the last team that you want to go ahead and let them kind of just go in and get into their game. I think Golden State has a really big series from the outside just because it's Poole, Thompson, and Curry. But I think the X factor in this series, believe it or not, is Draymond. If Luka thinks he's going to go out there and score 40 points, I just don't see how that's going to happen with a guy like Draymond. This He lives for these moments, Mackenzie. You know this. If you go ahead and you say, well, you're going to go up against the best player in the league, 
the guy right now who's out there doing whatever he wants. He's making every bucket that he wants. He's talking crap. Draymond's going to look at this as a personal challenge. Now, how much are they going to put him on on Luca? I don't know. It's going to be far more than what I think people expect because he's going to want that challenge. And I think with Draymond out there playing at you know an elite defensive level, Luca's going to have to look to go ahead and, and distribute the basketball uh, quite a bit. And that might take a game or two before they actually realize we can't just have Luca going out there shooting it 30 times. Because, look, I think that one of the things that will get you beat is letting Luca go out there one-on-one with any player in the league. It doesn't matter if it's Draymond or not. I think they will go ahead and look to double him at times. They're going to look to go ahead and get the ball out of his hands. But it will take a game or two before they actually figure out that that might be the, the better recipe for success. So I went ahead. I gave out a best bet in the last podcast. I really like Luca under his assist. It was eight and a half. The books have adjusted this down a little bit. It's now at seven and a half. I'm going to continue to go ahead and play that McKenzie until maybe they drop it down a little bit more. But right now you can get under seven and a half at like plus 120. I think Luca will take a game or two to figure out that he has to go ahead and pass the ball to the rest of his teammates. And if Draymond is the guy that gets stuck on him quite a bit here, uh, Luca might just have a, a rough night all around. And I, I think that there's a very good chance of that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Luca under his assist. That's the way I feel right now. But how do you feel about Draymond? Like, I feel like he hasn't seen a defender thus far in the, in the playoffs, Luca, And going up against a guy like Draymond, who's going to be physical, I think he matches up with Luca uh, intensity-wise, size-wise, power-wise, that this could, be a, this could be a really good battle. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. Jokic under assist was something I was playing in round one because he'd gone like 14 games versus Draymond Green where he'd only put up over seven and a half assists twice. And then I was kind of happy I made a bet and it won. I was looking at him like, Jokic has gone over his assist total in the playoffs like twice. And I know he's not Luka Doncic, two different players, two different guys. But here's my point. The fact that it's 6-0 and to the under, and a lot of the times it hasn't been close. When Luka's on the road, he hasn't had more than eight and a half assists, or he hasn't, had, he hasn't even had more than seven and a half assists. It's just one of those props where I don't see anybody at a sports book until the money comes in big on this particular concept, making a game-by-game adjustment. It's just too granular, and I think they're going to keep putting up similar numbers, and as the money keeps coming in, they're going to keep losing because he just plays a different style. He's on the road, 10 career playoff games. I looked this up today. Number one all-time, 35.5 points per game on the road, only 30 points per game at home. So he's scoring six more points per game. He's not doing that by passing the ball. So it makes a lot of sense to me that the assist prop was a winner last time. Thank you. Tailed on that. And I think it'll be a winner again. But for my best bet, I'm going to go with the over in the Wednesday night Mavericks-Warriors game. Very simple handicap here. We have just seen the, War- the Mavericks play three games in Dallas out of the last five. We've just seen the Mavericks play two out of the last two games after game five. Well, historically, what have we seen? The Mavericks at home this year were under 70%, including 3-0 and in the last series and 2-1 and in the series before that. And historically, we've seen game sixes and game sevens trend heavily to the under. Well, all of that is taken off the board here. They're now not playing in Dallas. They're playing on the road where they generally have had higher scoring games. They're not playing a game six or seven, which is historically under. They're playing a game one, which, if you've just played a seven-game series, has been a crazy over game. 61% since 2003 
If either of the teams had played a game seven, the previous game, their next game goes over because all of those factors like the, the tense intensity and the extra preparation and the familiarness with the opponent that we've just seen in their most recent games that a lot of these books are basing their pricing on isn't really relevant. So I think it should be a few points higher. There's value here. I want the over 214 and a half in the game one Warriors Mavericks. Yeah, I wouldn't fade that, McKenzie, and I think a lot of that comes down to the three-point shooting that we might see in this first game. That's what both of these teams want to do. That's what they've been doing in the playoffs. So I'd be with you with that. Uh, my best bet, I'll go ahead. I'll give out the BAM points, rebounds, and assists over to 27.5. I think that Boston will struggle to go ahead and adjust to having to deal with him, that they haven't had to deal with a guy like that you know, for the last couple of games, and Miami's going to want to break out that that tool again. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play him over his points, rebounds, and assists. He looked really good with the, the games without Embiid on the floor. So I'll go ahead. I'll do that for my best bet. Uh, but that'll wrap up the pod, guys. That's episode 40 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. You guys know where to find Mackenzie and I on Twitter at SleepyG underscore pregame and at Mac and Rivers. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you check us both out over there at pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck for the conference finals. Enjoy the games. Thanks.